Thanks for tuning in to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. My name is Lancia Klingensmith, and today I am joined by Katie Abbey, Assistant Dean over Business Career Services and Corporate Outreach here at the David Eccles School of Business. As I'm sure you'll find quickly through today's interview, Katie is an experienced business executive. She began her career in the healthcare staffing industry with CHG before co-founding Vista Staffing Solutions in 1990, first serving as COO, then as president before an acquisition in 2007 by one of the largest healthcare, scientific, IT, and engineering staffing companies in the U.S. She has been named one of Utah Business Magazine's 30 Women to Watch, is a generous donor to the David Eccles School of Business, a cancer survivor, and a self-described gym rat. Although that's not how I'm sure I would describe a 16-marathon veteran, avid triathlete, and Ironman finisher. Those of you who have been on campus for any length of time may recognize Katie by her trusty sidekick, Rocky, who unfortunately is dealing with some seasonal allergies, so wasn't able to join us today. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Langsha. Yes, Rocky was a little put out that he couldn't join us. And for those who don't know Rocky, he's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel and our emotional support animal in business career services. Thank you so much for joining us. It's weird. We are face-to-face today. We are in person, and this is the first in-person interview we've gotten to have for the podcast. I know. It's so exciting. It's great to be back in the world. It really is. And we love to have the luxury of being able to record virtually, but there's something about being face-to-face. It's just, it's really great. So thank you so much for being here. I'd love to just jump in with you if that's okay. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and your connection to the Eccles community? Okay, great. I'll start by saying that I am a proud University of Utah alum, go Utes. Although interestingly enough, I am not from the College of Business. Growing up, I was always a science person. I love biology and chemistry and physics and anatomy and really always thought that my career would be in healthcare as some sort of healthcare provider. But things happen and people change and circumstances present themselves. And I went into business and absolutely have loved it and have had a great career. On the personal side, I have two beautiful sons, one here, one in heaven. And my son who is here just finished his master's degree here at the University of Utah. So very, very proud of him. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. Now now he needs to get a job. And I really enjoy pretty much anything that has to do with sports. I love endurance sports, as you've mentioned. I love scuba diving, travel, language learning. I've invested a lot of time in recent years learning to speak French. And my connection to the Eccles School of Business happened when I was building my company. One of my main mentors was Taylor Randall, who at the time was accounting faculty here. Now, of course, our beloved dean. And when we went to sell the business, Taylor really, really helped me demystify the process of working with investment bankers. So when I had the opportunity to come back and give back to the Eccles School of Business, I jumped. We are just so lucky to have you here and just thrilled to have you in the Eccles community. I have to ask, how did you meet Taylor? You mentioned that he really helped you through that process. How did you know Taylor before that? 
So we met Taylor with my partner in business. His wife was friends with one of the accounting faculty here. And through her, Marlene Plumley, we met Taylor. And so initially it was a social interaction. But through the years as we were building our business, we would invite Taylor down to our offices and he would give training to some of our employees and helped us with a number of projects. And then, as I mentioned, when we went to go through the acquisition process, I felt like I personally needed help. I didn't study business in school. I didn't have a lot of experience working with venture capitalists or investment bankers and was very, very intimidated by the process. And so he would come down every week and ping questions at me like he was an investment banker and completely demystified everything and made it much, much easier for us to go through. Oh, that's great. And I've just always wondered that you mentioned you didn't study business. What did you study when you were a U student? Yeah, nutrition and food science was my area. And I initially wanted to go into corporate health and wellness. But back in the 80s, that didn't really exist. We didn't have all the research back then about how happy, healthy employees are more productive and so forth. And so there really weren't any opportunities to do that kind of work. And so I ended up just looking for opportunities in healthcare. And that's when I found then Comp Health. Now, of course, they're known as CHG Healthcare and began my career as a physician recruiter, which was a great opportunity to help people in a different way. So even though I was not personally a healthcare provider, we were placing physicians in medical practices in communities where people might not otherwise have had healthcare. That is so interesting. You were just so ahead of your time with all of the corporate health and wellness initiatives that you had envisioned. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way at the time. But if you want to do something like I really wanted to do that and there's no opportunity available, eventually we started our own company. And as part of that, we developed a corporate wellness program. So I got to feed that need in a different way. You mentioned just now that you left CHG to launch a competing agency that was called Vista, which was later acquired. What was that experience like? It was amazing. First of all, it was scary. I loved working for Comp Health. My other mentors was Dr. Teres Kolf, the founder of Comp Health and the founder and creator of the locum tenens industry, which is the catchphrase they use to describe temporary physicians. And you know, I was really, really happy in my career and probably would have stayed with the organization forever. But it became obvious to us about four or five years in that the company was for sale. And we got to started to get a little bit nervous about our futures and what would happen when somebody else owned the organization. So we raised the venture capital and started Vista Staffing Solutions. And it was an incredible ride. We built the company to about $100 million in revenue before selling it. We met and met many, many amazing people and many great physicians and provided people with strong employment opportunities and made friends for life. So I recommend it to anybody. It's really just an incredible way to work. If you had interviewed yourself on graduation day, would you have seen that for yourself? Never. I didn't take any business classes during my undergraduate degree and never saw myself being a quote unquote business person and certainly not an entrepreneur or the leader of a fairly substantial company. But you just have to go with the flow. 
back in the 80s, experiential learning was not quite the thing that it is today. And so it was challenging for me to sit down and think about learning principles of accounting or finance or marketing and so forth. But actually being in the moment, building a company and having the need to do these things was a better way for me to go. Yeah, absolutely. You look at our MBC program now and it feels like it was made exactly for someone in your shoes at the time. I wish that that program had existed back then. You're always ahead of your time, one step ahead. Yeah, either that or a little bit unlucky, you know, in timing. What did you learn about perseverance through that experience? Because entrepreneurial life just throws so many hoops at you. Yeah, it really does. Obviously, you learn a lot of lessons when you're building a business and you make a lot of mistakes. I think in terms of perseverance, it's just that ability to keep going no matter what obstacles rise up in front of you. We were fairly fortunate in building Vista in that most of the obstacles weren't actually within our company, but were within the industry overall. For example, we had medical malpractice crisis during that time where malpractice claims were skyrocketing throughout the United States. Insurance companies were very reluctant to provide insurance for companies like ours. And the whole industry was really threatened with collapse at, at a certain point in time. And so rather than everyone throwing up their hands or each company doing their own thing individually, we really came together as an industry and the leaders of every company set aside their competitive instincts and we brainstormed ways to overcome the obstacles. We approached insurance companies with plans and ideas and strategies for managing risk to the, to the extent that we could. And we're able to get through what could have been the collapse of not only the industry, but all of our careers and our companies as well. That's a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure, but looking back on it, it was a great opportunity for me to get to know my competitors in a really different way, which down the road helped so much because whenever we had conflict, I could just pick up the phone and call the president of the other company and we could work things out, remove the customer from the middle and keep the image of the industry in a much, much more positive light. Yeah. Would you do anything differently through that process? I think that there's one thing that I would do differently in building my company. And that is when we first founded Vista Staffing Solutions, um, I was pregnant with my first child, which is not really the ideal circumstance. And my partner's wife was also pregnant. My male counterparts, it was not a problem because they they would have their babies and their wives would be home taking care of them. But for me, I had a lot of responsibilities within the business, not only as a founder, but I held several key line responsibilities. And to take 12 weeks off would have been really detrimental in the building of the business. So I ended up with both of my children having them and going back to work the next week. Wow. So I missed out on that maternity leave. And it made sense at the time. But in retrospect, if I were to do it again, I really think I would take that time because you never get it back. And really, your family is the most valuable thing you own. And I think the business would have survived nicely without me for a few weeks. Yeah. (laughs) But it's hard to know like in the moment and to be juggling so many big things at one time. It just hindsight is 2020. Exactly. Alumni and friends. 
Business Career Services extend a big thank you to those who contribute so much to the career success of our current and future graduates. Through your mentoring expertise, by participating in panels, and by sharing opportunities, Eccles School Careers Connections stay strong and vibrant. Want to get involved? Reach us at careers at eccles.utah.edu or visit our suite in GARF 1300. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eccles Careers. We'd love to feature you. Jumping back a little bit, you know, this season of the Eccles Business Buzz is focused on the topic of perseverance, which, you know, 2020 and 2021 has shown us the value of perseverance. What does it mean to you to persevere? I think perseverance does mean taking what life throws at you and maybe not reacting right away, but taking a step back to think about things because there usually is an answer or a solution or an alternative route that you can take. And for example, this past year was really challenging for everybody. And I know we all had moments when we were feeling down or depressed or like, are we ever going to get back to normal? Or is this truly the new normal for the rest of our lives? And you just have to keep moving ahead. I was reading an article recently from the Harvard Business Review on kind of on the same thing on perseverance. And they were highlighting stories of survivors of war camps. Oh, interesting. And, and what they discovered in studying this topic was that individuals who were like completely positive or completely negative did not do as well, which is interesting because you think, oh, the person with the most positive attitude is the one that's going to come out on top. But what they discovered was that a positive attitude was important, but a realistic attitude was really more important. And that if you couple those two things together, your chances of surviving and persisting are much greater. And I think that that's really what we tried to do this past year was remain as positive as we could, but also take the opportunity to say, look, we don't know when this is going to end. We don't know how long we're going to be in this. So let's just keep plowing ahead, but let's do it with a realistic mindset. Persistence is a really, really interesting topic. I think that that's how I would attack it at this point in time is let's keep forging ahead, but let's be realistic and on the way. Yeah, that's so interesting that you bring up that article. People often debate, you know, are you a half glass empty or glass half empty or glass half full? But maybe looking at it from just a more realistic angle, especially the last year, can help you persevere. Because if you're so positive without that realism, it'd be easy to get burnt out potentially and lose that hope that the realism maybe provides in an odd way. Yeah. I think, you know, when it's all started, most of us thought, oh, we're going home for two weeks and then we'll be back. <laughs> and and we set ourselves up for depression when that didn't happen. Yeah. So rather than we're going home, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're just going to keep moving ahead, I think is a better way to go. We went home. I didn't even take my keyboard home with me. Two weeks, I'll just use my laptop. You know, it was starting to warm up. At the time, oh, I'll work from the balcony on my laptop for two weeks. It'll be fine. And here we are almost a year and a half later, and we're still at home part of the time. And I think that will continue to go. And 
that makes me curious, you know, in your business career services perspective and with that lens, what do you think the pandemic means for the future of work? Do you think we're going to keep this kind of hybrid situation? I think so. It's such a good question. I get asked that often. I do think the way we work may be transforming forever. There's a lot of value in face-to-face communication and building relationships. And I think we've learned that while we certainly can continue 100% virtually, it's awfully nice to be able to be with people. So my hope is that perhaps we transition back towards where we were before, but perhaps with a more open and flexible mindset. And You know, certain jobs, of course, require us to be face-to-face 100% of the time, but where there's the opportunity to be flexible and adaptable, I I really do see companies moving in that direction. Yeah, I think it's just so interesting. I had to tangent a little bit because you're the expert in the room on those sorts of things. I just get the opportunity to speak to a lot of companies. You know, this kind of goes in with that a little bit. You have spent the last six years, right? here at the Echo School, building a robust and world-class placement center. I spoke to Chad Anselmo on another episode, and he was talking, you know, when I graduated, he said, there was nobody there to really help me and guide me through that process. And now, you know, our grads who just walked in May, they don't know what that experience is like because of you and your hard work to build up this center. And a couple of weeks ago, you shared a letter to the editor on LinkedIn. And I thought it was so interesting. It started by saying, give our nation's students a break. You heard correctly. Please cut them some slack. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. This all stemmed out of a conversation that a colleague here in the business school and I were having with a student, one of our really bright 4.0 type students who was worried because of the pandemic, because of the abrupt transition to online classrooms, she was really struggling and knew her GPA was going to drop, maybe for the first time ever in her academic career. So as we were talking, she said, you know, is there anything we can do? Do employers realize how hard it is for students right now? And so that just got me to thinking that this is some messaging that we really need to put out there because many employers do judge the quality of job applicants by virtue of their GPA. And and in some industries, that's really, really important. But at, at this point in time, what we were able to see here at the University of Utah were students excelling in different ways. And many of them faced catastrophic events within their personal lives, parents losing jobs, family members dying. In some respect, the students were then charged with picking up the family and keeping everybody together and maybe even being the sole providers of income while their parents searched for new employment. And of course, this is going to impact their ability to get to achieve a 4.0 GPA. But in my mind, it shows fortitude in a really different way and attributes that I think most employers would find very, very appealing. So I really wanted to reach out to all of my contacts and say, take the time to really talk to students over the next few years, especially if 
GPA is important to you and you see a GPA that's on the cusp or not quite what you're looking for, there might be a very good reason for that. And what you might find is that the student is every bit as smart and intelligent and um, hardworking as you want, and yet they have all these other attributes as well, things that only a true survivor can project. So that was the basis of it. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that we continue to put so much emphasis on GPA. We love to have metrics, especially in the business environment. We want to be able to measure those things. But to think of all the characteristics of a really wonderful employee that aren't measured within that GPA. And it's interesting to think about, you know, my husband was looking at some different roles and they asked for his high school GPA. And he's three years out of graduation now. I don't even remember, you know, and what value is his high school GPA into the employee that he is now as a college graduate? It's just interesting to think about. I agree 100%. I think it's an easy metric that allows employers to weed through large applicant pools. And so therefore, it's something that many choose to do. But times have changed. And I think our ability to discern quality candidates needs to change with them. How did your team continue finding placement for these students in the middle of a pandemic? You mentioned that student feeling anxious about her GPA. I'm sure she wasn't alone in not only worrying about grades, but also worrying what this means for her career after graduation. Yeah. And I just remember it like, oh, like it was just yesterday. One minute, our students were sitting here in Utah with a lower than 2.9% unemployment rate. Many of them had multiple job offers. Many of them were getting ready to launch into internships for the summer. And literally overnight, everything changed. They started losing job offers. They lost their internships. And it was catastrophic. And I I talked to a lot of my colleagues at other universities, and I think it could have been easy for us to to throw up our hands and say, well, you know, employers have hiring freezes and they're doing furloughs and they're laying people off and they're canceling internships. There's nothing we can do about it. But we came together as a team and we said, look, we have been so fortunate over the last five years to have this booming economy in Utah. And so relatively speaking, our job has been easy. But now things are a little challenging. Are we going to give up now? And so really the answer for us was elbow grease. We just rolled up our sleeves and we said, we're going to pick up the phone. We're going to call every company in our portfolio and find out if they're hiring or not hiring. Then we're going to identify industries which were better positioned to withstand the pandemic and reach out to new companies to find opportunities. And we're not going to stop until every single student is well-placed. And my team did it. Everyone worked. We worked harder last summer than I can remember. And we ended up with, I think, a 93% student placement result for the academic year. And the best part of all was logic would tell you that salaries would have gone down but they actually went up. So not only were the students placed, but they were really well-placed. And so I feel really proud of that accomplishment and I owe it all to having a great team that never gave up. 
What an incredible accomplishment to, well, and it, that speaks of your team's perseverance. Absolutely. To be in the face of, like you said, just throwing your hands up. And I'm sure that many universities, many teams similarly to yours did because it's gut reaction in those moments. Like, well, what do you do? It's life. Life happens. And to have such a huge job placement, What what's your you know, in a non-COVID year, what's the typical job placement rate for our We usually hover between 93 and 95%. So we were right in there. That is just phenomenal. It's also really testament to our students who also, it would have been easy for students to say, oh, I give up too, but they didn't. And they worked hard. They had to work a lot harder to find jobs and the competition was greater. So kudos to the students also. Yeah, because in some ways, you know, they might be competing with folks who have graduated already who have now been furloughed or laid off trying to compete for those same positions. Exactly right. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, our Career Services Center is just incredible because it's not just a matter of getting students in jobs. I know all those students who are in jobs are a great fit. That's what they want to be doing. You know, it's not just, oh, here's a job. This one's for you. Take it or leave it. It's your team really genuinely cares about the students and finding them a job that they can thrive in and really continue to progress and start their careers off on such a good foot. Yeah, that's exactly right. We were developing the strategy for our career services here in the business school We really wanted to be different than traditional university career services. And so we flipped the model upside down and we said, we are going to make our strategy surround the employers, our employer partners and our community partners, which sounds really counterintuitive, but we we feel strongly that if we partner with great companies, we provide them with the engagement opportunities that they need, the talent acquisition opportunities that they need. We understand their company and the cultural fit and so forth. So in essence, we do a really good job for the companies that they'll turn around and say, I love the University of Utah. They're providing me with great talent and they will give more and better opportunity to our students. So that strategy has worked really, really well for everyone. Yeah, it's a great partnership. Yes. Do you work with small companies and big companies? What's your focus? You name it. (laughs) We've got it all. And the reason being that, you know, our students have a wide variety of interests. So we've really worked hard over the last six years to diversify industries, to diversify size of companies, and to diversify opportunities so that there's a little bit of something for everybody. Yeah. Oh, that's just... Incredible. I love to hear about how you've encouraged your team to persevere in the face of all that chaos. And, you know, at that time, your employees, your team, they were dealing with all the chaos in their personal lives as well. How did you encourage them to kind of juggle both of those things and to persevere through that? It's such a good question because it's so hard to know how good or not good a job you did. But for me, whenever I'm faced with difficult things or challenges, it's really helpful to be focused on something productive. We tried to provide all of our staff with the accommodations they needed to continue to be successful in their work. We met on a regular basis. So the first probably two months, we met as a group at least once a week to check in with one another. And then less so as people fell more into a routine. 
But I think just giving people the opportunity to be able to do their job first and foremost, but then if they were having challenges or problems, whether those be personal or professional, to allow them the opportunity to say, hey, I'm really struggling here and cut them a little slack, so to speak. <laughs> I guess that's the phrase of the moment. And it, it seems to have worked well. And our team has really done a great job working from home. We're super excited to come back to campus and full-time in the fall. Oh, that's exciting. I didn't know that. Yeah, we can't wait. And we're slowly, slowly easing people back a little bit over the summer. That's so exciting. So will you have students in your office again in the fall too then? We will. Yes, yes. You know, Langsha, we employ a lot of students in business career services, and they really help us increase our bandwidth and the number of employers and students that we can help and provide services for. So we have about uh, 12 to 15 students working with us this summer, which is super exciting. Our offices are open limited hours, so people can come in if they need to use interview rooms or the videotaping rooms and so forth. Wow, that's so exciting. I can't wait to see it. Shifting gears a little bit, we talked about what it means to you to persevere. What's been the biggest obstacle in your life or your career that you've had to overcome, that you've had to persevere through? I've spent a little bit of time thinking about this over the last week, and It's hard to choose because we all have issues and problems. There are no guarantees in life and we all face big challenges. And, you know, obviously losing a son is very challenging. My son had a rare disease. And as a family, we had to persevere through some really, really rough times. And that taught us a lot of lessons. First and foremost is you can take your situation and either wallow in it, so to speak, Or you can take your situation and say, okay, this is where we are right now. Let's do something with it. And so as a family, we chose to not focus on disease and not focus on end of life, but focus on life today and right now. And and I think that that really has helped me in pretty much everything since then, because whenever I have an obstacle now, I think about the importance of it and it might be important But in comparison, how big a deal is it really? And putting things in perspective can really help you take that step back and figure out a way to keep moving forward. Absolutely. Looking at that big picture and kind of going back to that realistic lens that we thought of earlier, it's easy to get bogged down in the day to day. But realistically, what does this problem right now impact in the grand scheme of things? Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. What tools or strategies do you kind of lean on or utilize on those days that maybe are hard to like put that foot in front of another, or look at the big picture and realize the minuteness of you know what seems so big in the moment? My number one go-to is exercise. <laughs> <laughs> so whether I'm happy or sad or angry or frustrated. I can usually grab Rocky and go for a run and that that really helps. But I think over the years, one of the biggest things I've learned is that we don't have to go at it alone. And so when I feel frustrated, I can turn to so many people 
And here in the business school, I'm surrounded by incredible talent on my team. So if I'm having a personal challenge or a professional challenge, I don't have to sit there and try and figure it out by myself. I have any number of people who are skilled and talented and willing and want to help. And so that's a big piece of advice that I give to people because as a competitive person, it's sometimes <laughs> really hard to ask for help. But the more you do it and the more you realize the um, satisfaction and the joy you get over overcoming obstacles as a team, it becomes easier and easier to do. Absolutely. And in order to persevere, you have to have a little bit of motivation for that intrinsically within you to keep going on those tough times that you talked about not wallowing in in those days. What was that motivation for that? It, it does help to be hyper competitive type, <laughs> type A personality. But for me, I, I really like helping people. I always wanted to have a career where I could help people. I think that's why I was drawn to healthcare as a younger person. But then I learned that you can help people in any number of ways. So for example, last summer when the pandemic hit and we were all at home and people, we were starting to get depressed and wondering how long this is going to last and our lives have changed. We were able to focus on the Hope Corps, which you yes. may recall was our project for the summer, where we were able to help so many companies and students who were struggling during the pandemic by placing students to work in small businesses here in Utah. So I really like that concept of turning to others and providing service for others as a way to manage stress and difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more about the Hope Corps program? And because you were very involved with that and what a success. And it was a huge success. I'm really, really proud of, of the Hope Corps. The Hope Corps was a brainchild of um, Taylor Randall and Clark Ivory, who sat down very early on in the pandemic and said, we're going to have a major economic impact in Utah because of this crisis. And we already have students losing jobs and uh, all these small businesses, what are they going to do? Like restaurants, for example, closing their doors. And so the two of them thought, is there a way that we can couple these two problems in a way that helps both parties? And therefore, the Hope Corps was born. And so essentially what we did was we, uh, small businesses could apply to be part of the Hope Corps program. And then we were able to recruit about 300 students over the summer who had lost opportunities or who were unable to find opportunities for work or internship, and we placed them together. And through generous donations, we were able to pay the students for the work and the, the companies were able to have students come help them with new strategies, new ways to conduct their business to survive this period of time at no cost to them. So it was just an incredible program that was very, very successful, and I'm really, really proud of it. Talk about a symbiotic relationship there and all the nuance that normally goes into programs like that, being able to get it up off the ground to really start benefiting those two parties so quickly. Yes. That just had to have been such a feat. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was like starting a new company. Absolutely. Well, and in the middle of this, you're still trying to find jobs for all the graduating students. Right. And yeah, like I said earlier, I think my team worked harder last summer than they ever have just 
by virtue of circumstance. Which is saying something because your team always works very hard. So to kick it up to a whole new level is just crazy. Do you think that program will continue in any capacity? Are there ways to still bring life to that program? Yeah, it actually has continued. We transitioned it at the end of the summer to the Hinckley Institute and they continue it today. Oh, that's great. Hey, employers. Corporate Outreach is a full-service professional staffing team with access to outstanding diverse students and alumni for your company needs. Partner with us for free to engage with the students, fill your open positions, and build a talent pipeline. Get in touch with us by email at careers at echols.utah.edu or by phone at 801-324-1062. You know, you mentioned part of that way that you continue to persevere is power of exercise. We talked, you know, before our podcast started about cycling and how we're enjoying these beautiful days, but you're also an Ironman completer, finisher triathlete. You've completed more marathons and races than I can wrap my head around. How do you incorporate that perseverance that's required for those endurance sports into your day-to-day life? How do you train for those? It's a lifestyle choice, largely. I started, as, as a kid, I was well, in, really into team sports. And in high school, played you know volleyball and basketball and softball and so forth. When I went away to university, I gained the traditional freshman 15, right? And and it was at that point in time that I started running. And I never thought I could be a distance runner. To me, distance runners were sort of freaks, right? And But I started running. And before you knew it, I was running, you know, two miles. I was like, wow, I wonder if I could run a 5K. And then I'd do a 5K. And then, wow, I wonder if I could run a 10K. And then you'd run six miles. And before you, you know, before I knew what was happening, um, you know, I was running marathons. And so it just sucks you in. And and for me, I'm really amazed at how our bodies can adapt to work. The more I became intrigued by this concept, the more I began enjoying the competition behind it. And so I made a natural transition to try triathlon and did a lot of shorter races. and at a certain point in time, I thought, you know, just like you want to run Boston, right? If you're a marathoner, I, I really need to do an Ironman. And so to do Ironman, though, is that's a sort of a different league. It's like having a second full-time job and probably a full year of training to get prepare for an Ironman. So I would get up at four in the morning and work out for three hours before work. And then again on my lunch hour and again after work and then all day, every day on the weekends. And we have several Ironmen in the business school, so you can ask any of them and they'll tell you the same thing. It's just that commitment and then it just becomes part of you. And so it's easy to do. So you've done one Ironman. I've done one Ironman. Will you do another? I would probably do another one. It's the knowledge of the level of commitment that it takes that has kept me from doing another one at this point. But at a certain point in the future, maybe when I retire, I'll try another one. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like in the pandemic for you? You are a highly social person, highly competitive. You enjoy all these endurance sports that while, you know, it's just you really working to complete it, there's still that aspect of community. 
you're running a marathon. And at least for me, a big reason of why I finished that race is because of all the people around me. You know, they kind of carry you with them. How did you deal with that in the pandemic? Yeah, I've been very lonely, just like everyone else. And of course, it's nice. We have Zoom and we can still see each other, but it's just not the same thing. You know, Rocky. (laughs) I love Rocky. Rocky's my partner and, you know, he's always up for a run. And so that, that has helped a lot. But I think mostly just plowing through and accepting that it's going to be lonely for a little while. And now that I'm fully vaccinated, I've been able to see select people who are also fully vaccinated. And it's really great to give people hugs again. It is. It's so nice to be in person. What are you looking forward to now on the flip side of COVID? I know through my time in the Golf Scholars Program that you have a French immersion school that you adore and frequent often. Are you heading? Are you heading over to France anytime soon? I am. <laughs> I knew it. So it's so funny because I just bought a, a a plane ticket yesterday, and I'll be going back to my language school this summer. Yeah, so I'll I'll get to go to France twice. So this summer I'll be going to my language school, and then this fall I've been invited to teach a few workshops at the University of Nantes in France. Oh so my I'll be heading back goodness. in the fall to do some teaching, which is really fun. That is, I am just so jealous. Oh, that is incredible. Perhaps I need an assistant. Assistant party of one right here. (laughs) You're just so inspiring, Katie. You have so many different facets of your life and you just have such a calming and easy presence to be around. And it's just always such a joy to talk to you and learn from you. I feel like every time I talk to you, I'm learning something new that I just like want to write down and read every single morning. I feel the same about you. <laughs> what advice would you give to listeners who, you know, you pivoted your career, you've persevered through all sorts of things in your life to just really look within themselves at some point, you know, and make a decision. You've done that so many times. What advice do you have? Don't be afraid to try hard things. And I'll use my French as an example because I'm pretty good at most things, but I have zero aptitude for language. And I decided about seven, eight years ago that I was tired of being the American who only spoke English and I wanted to learn a foreign language. And I picked France because I love France. I love French wine and food and it would be really fun. And I started as a small child learning the alphabet, A, B, C, and how to count, and it was so hard for me. And I would go to my language school and it's immersion. And so you don't speak any English. And I had no words. And it's super, super frustrating. It was very scary too. And you just have to go for it. And if you go for it, I think you'll be surprised at what you can accomplish. I was pretty nervous coming here to the business school because I had built a very successful company, but could I do it again? And you just have to try. And so that's my my biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid of things that you think might be difficult or challenging for you. Just go for it. And if you don't succeed, try something else. And if you do succeed, bravo. I love that. And you know, you mentioned the business school almost has a language of its own in some ways. And through your French immersion program, you're one of the most articulate people I've ever met. And to be without words, I imagine that was almost like paralyzing. 
Yeah, there were a few tears shed. <laughs> there were a few times I'd sneak out for for a coffee with my Canadian friends and we'd secretly speak English just because you, you get so much, so many things bottled up in your head that you want to say, but you don't have the words to say them. So they just get stuck there. But yeah, it was a little frustrating, but we overcame and now I don't have that problem. So it's just that, that realism. I didn't know how long it was going to take me to be able to speak French, but I knew eventually I would get there. Are you going to learn? Yeah, I just started Spanish. Because to be honest, in the United States, it's probably a much more useful language. Yeah, I finally felt ready to take on a third language. And there's quite a bit of crossover, actually, between French and Spanish and English. So it seems like a natural transition. Oh, that's awesome. I hope you have the best time in France this summer. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me today, for sharing your stories of perseverance when we were going through making our guest list for this season. You know, your name stood out and you have so many tales of perseverance personally and professionally and being able to take lessons learned from both aspects of your life and kind of pull them together to lean on is just really inspiring. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Langsha. It's truly been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe using your favorite podcast player and be sure to give us a rating and review. You could check out more of our content at echols.link slash business buzz. Until next time, Go Utes.